Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. individual Christians and unfortunately entire congregations can adopt, that can become part of us, but they poison who we are meant to be. They also taint the gospel that we are trying to share. And so it's important for us to be mindful of these things. Unfortunately, they are more common than any of us would like to think. But are you also shocked that we're still talking about it? Did you think I would have wrapped it up by now? Like, we explored all of toxic Christianity. Nope, we got, we got a few more. Today, we are going to be talking about the anti-religious, the non-practicing Christian. Anybody know a non-practicing Christian? I hear that a lot. Uh, when people ask me what I do and I tell them, there are generally one of three things that happen, and almost... Consistently, about a third of the people that I talk to will say this. I grew up in the church, or I used to be a Christian, but I don't practice now. Well, I was also raised to believe that practice makes perfect. If you want to be a good Christian, it's going to take some practice. It's going to take some work. And so we have experienced this. Perhaps there was a time in our lives where we ourselves would have been a non-practicing Christian. But chances are that most of us know someone someone that is very dear to us, someone who has a special place in our hearts, a central place in our lives, that would count themselves among this. They are those that perhaps have had a horrific encounter in a church. Or maybe they had such an awful experience with another Christian that they cannot fathom being vulnerable and going back into that same situation. Unfortunately, there has been times throughout Christians history and our practice that we have done just this. We have adopted and done things that hurt people, didn't just hurt their hearts, but wounded their spirits. And so we have a heavy mantle, a burden that we bear, knowing that there are people who have been scarred by toxic Christianity, and that often it is they who have become these non-practicing Christians. Because you can't always rob someone of their belief in God or their acknowledgement of Jesus Christ, but you can steal from them their desire to be part of the body of Christ. And that would have to be one of the largest institutional sins Christianity has ever done. So let's talk about why the church exists. Why do we have the church? Well, it actually goes deeper than Christianity. Uh, as an undergraduate, I studied the theory of religion, and I studied non-Christian religion, and I had the incredible experience to study all the different theories about how religion functions. And there are some commonalities across the world, across cultures, and across different nations and continents, peoples and languages that have some common base that we can start from when we talk about religion. And in fact, in 2018, two authors that I had read in my undergraduate updated their book and re-released The Study of Religion in an Age of Global Dialogue. Because by the time 2018 rolled around, we had already begun to expand our connectivity through digital means, 
through the ability to use technology to connect us in meaningful ways to other people that otherwise we would have had to travel to be in their presence and to understand and encounter their cultures. But in an age where more and more we are having conversations across the world, we have discovered this. And thanks to Leonard Schindler of Temple University and Paul Mojes of Rosemont, they outlined and identified the four C's of religion. The first C is creed. It is our beliefs. It is what any religion states to be their holy truth. It is a truth that is bigger than themselves. And so oftentimes in Christianity, we actually have literal creeds that we can say. Some of you may have grown up memorizing the Apostles' Creed or being well acquainted with the Nicene Creed. These are statements of our faith that proclaim that we believe in the one true God that we believe that Jesus Christ is God the Son, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Creeds like this help to keep us grounded in what we believe and give us a basis for which to test something that doesn't feel right. So creeds are very important. The second C is code. That is our behavior in our religion. It is what we are called to do. It is also our ethics. It gives us a framework with which we act. There are things that are not acceptable if you are going to be a Christian. If you go to a trustees meeting and you don't agree, it is not okay to kill one another. We are not going to practice that. And so it is important for us to understand where to draw the line and create boundaries of what is appropriate and not appropriate. And so our code helps us to do this. The third C is cult, and I'm not talking about Jim Jones, David Koresh, Charles Manson, not that kind of cult. Cult, from the word cultus, is about action. This is the rituals that a religion puts forth. This is one of the ways that we use our creed and our code to enact our faith. And so part of the, the cult of Christianity is corporate worship. It is Bible study, searching the scriptures together. It is engaging in both individual and corporate prayer. It is enacted in mission and ministry. So cult for us is very important. It's the way that we give our faith form. It is the way that we put our belief in the love and salvation of God into our words, our deeds, our lives. And we continually do that together not just as individual Christians. And the fourth C is community. This is the structure, this is the gift, this is the unity that happens when you join a religion. Every religion has a community. You can't have a religion of one. You have to find at least one other person that is willing to believe you and follow you. You have to have at least two. Fortunately for us, this is not a cult that is doing that. Instead, we are about the body of Christ. Our leader is Christ himself, and we are following what he has taught us, what he has shown us how to do. And then we are doing what he has called us to continue to do, both as mission and ministry, but also worship. For in our gathering liturgy this morning, we said together the account that Jesus was religious. I have a many people that I've encountered over the years who go, you know, Jesus wasn't religious. Okay, yes, he was. <laughs> he was a devout Jew. And as you read with me, he went to the synagogue as was his 
custom. He went to the synagogue, and that's what he did. He went and he listened to the holy texts being read. He didn't just listen to them. Did you notice that he knew exactly how to read the scrolls? And he lived in a place that had a large synagogue for they had their own scroll of Isaiah. And on that one, on that one given day, he showed up there and he stood up to read and they handed him the scroll of Isaiah and he went right to the text that he was looking for. The very same text that we said together that he had come to bring eyesight to the blind, to set free the captive, to change this world, and he proclaimed it in the middle of the cultic practices of his people. But they didn't like what he said, so they eventually kicked him out of the synagogues altogether. But it didn't stop him from doing the cultic practices of Judaism. That's why on the week of what we call Holy Week, on the week of Passover, he journeyed to Jerusalem in order to be in the holy city for that annual sacred remembrance of the night that God liberated God's people. His religious practice grounded him in the midst of the people that had once more wandered away. Wandering from our faith is part of being faithful. That sounds horrible, but it's true. Questioning your faith is part of being faithful. If you never questioned, then you would never be sure. You would never have that inner assurance that you feel that this is what is right for you. And so religion is very important. Now, sometimes you'll talk to someone who is anti-religion or who is non-practicing, and they'll say something like this, I'm, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. You ever heard that? Sometimes people say that. They actually are meant to go together. Spirituality is inward, and it can be very individual. It is a recognition of a feeling, a sense, or a belief that there is something greater than oneself. That, of course, spirituality could be applied to any number of religions, not just Christianity. That would apply to our siblings in the Abrahamic faiths, Jews and Muslims. It would apply to Buddhists and Hindus. It would apply to Taoists and Confucianists. It would apply to people all over the world who assert that there is something bigger than themselves. And that changes how they think about themselves and others. It changes how they live and act in the world. Spirituality should drive your religiosity. That is the expression, the physical form of your spirituality. You can have an encounter with God outside of religion, but what do you do with it if you don't find a religion that resonates with that experience? You probably keep it very locked up inside, it becomes very sequestered and isolated, and it becomes something that is all yours when Christ was meant to be shared. So that is why religion goes hand in hand with spirituality. And if you're like the vast majority of Christians, the longer you live your life, the more likely it is that you're going to have a life event or an experience that is really going to test your faith. It is going to make you wonder if all of this was right, if God is really on your side, you'll start to question what God is doing and what God didn't do. And it is only our religion that keeps us tethered while we work through those periods of pain 
and sorrow and questioning. Those are not outlawed in the Bible or in Christianity, but they are a reality. How many times have you gone to church when you really weren't feeling it? How many times had you promised that you were going to show up and be part of a mission or a ministry and you really were thinking to yourself, you know what, I'd rather sleep in or there are other things I could be doing. But because you had made the commitment, you went and you were blessed and you blessed somebody else. That's the gift of religion. Religion is about an accountability. It's about communal connection. And the people of God had forgotten that. Ezekiel is pointing them back to the first time they had forgotten that. Can you imagine? How do you forget that you gathered at the base of Mount Sinai and the physical presence of God descended and covered the entire mountain in displays of thunder and smoke and lightning and the voice of God came forth from that display and made holy, eternal covenant with you and your children forever so that this would be your God and you would be God's people and as a sign of that relationship God was going to lead you into the promised land not just a second-rate plot of land but a first-rate the greatest of lands a land that for who they were and what they did would be flowing with milk and honey a land of abundance and blessing they forgot that because it wasn't shortly after that that they started to once more listen to themselves and follow their own ways and forsake the statutes and the ordinances of God, the things that God tells us to do because they're good for us. Like I tell my child to brush his teeth twice a day, not because it's good for my teeth, but because it's good for his. And there are days where I'm sure he doesn't want to go and brush his teeth, but you do it, don't you? Yes. And you do it because, one, it's the right thing to do, and our squad goal is to die with all our own teeth. And two, you do it because I can be really scary when I'm mad. It's about figuring out how to convey what is important. It's about our religion helping us to stay focused because there's a lot of things that are competing for my 11-year-old's attention. And almost none of them are in the toothbrush in the bathroom. So we have to use our religion to help pull us back to the center, to our focus, to keep us grounded, to keep our heads and our eyes focused on that which we should be focused upon. Because the world is competing. We sang that in our opening hymn, right? The world is ever near. So come closer, God. Be nearer to us than the world. And when you practice your Christianity, you are closer. You are closer to the physical presence of God the Father in this room than you are anywhere else. Because we consecrated this space and asked for a piece of God's self to dwell here, and God honored it. If you don't believe me, come in here sometime when you're the only one, and you'll realize you're not the only one in the room. Because there is a piece of God's self that is here. And then we start to recognize that when we come into the presence of God, that things happen here that never happen anywhere else. There are things when we attend to our religiosity that help our spirituality. I have told many a person that I would be a really crappy Christian if I weren't clergy. That's an endorsement, isn't it? 
Do you really think that I would show up for back-to-back worship services on a Sunday morning if I didn't have to be here? I mean, I'm an early morning person, so I would probably get up and come to the 9 o'clock, but then it would be like brunch time. And there's things that you could do. You know, one of the most holiest of things you could do on a Sunday is nap. There are things to be done. But what happened is that God called me to be this, and so because I listened after running for three years, after I finally listened, what I discovered is that by following what God wanted, I am better because of it. I have learned to love both of our worship expressions. My day is better because I get to sing the songs of contemporary and I sing the songs of our tradition. I get to see twice as many people. I get to be part of twice as many prayers. But I myself would never have chosen that. I would never have chosen to study the scriptures every single day because I wouldn't have been preparing for Bible studies. I wouldn't have been preparing for confirmation. I wouldn't have been working on sermons because life would have gotten busy. Have you ever thought that you were going to do something and then the day got away from you? And then the next day and then you were supposed to do it last week or last month or last year? And you thought to yourself, you know, especially if it was about a person, if you were supposed to be in contact with a person, has this ever happened to you? Where you get there and you're like, oh my gosh, it's been months since I talked to that person. And then what do we do? We start to go, well, you know what? It can't be that important to them because they didn't reach out to me either. They didn't call me. Right? So you're justified in having not talked to, talk to your mother for eight months. You're not justified in not talking to your mother for eight months. You need to call your mom. There are things that we do because we recognize that it is bigger than who we are. And thank God, there's something bigger than who we are. I once in seminary had a conversation about whether or not I would want a Mormon president or an atheist president. And I said, you know what, I'm not a Mormon. I don't believe in Mormonism. I'm a Methodist, I'm not a Mormon. But... I'll take somebody who believes in in accountability other than themselves every day. I like the idea that there are people, even of other religions, that believe that they are accountable to a deity, that somebody is watching and paying attention, and therefore their ethics are important. And those of us that are in the church doesn't mean we have perfect ethics. I've been to too many clergy sessions to believe that but I do believe that we have a better chance of adhering to a higher standard of Christian code when we are held accountable. Because people are watching. But more than that, people in the community of Christ care. They care about you. They care about you when it feels like nobody else cares about you. They care about you when you don't even care about yourself. And that's the gift that we have from our religion. And Jesus knew that. That's why he continued to practice Judaism. He died a Jew. And all of his apostles that he first called into ministry were Jews. And they kept practicing. If you go into the book of Acts of the Apostles, it says that they actually had to get kicked out of the temple because they continued to practice in the temple. Religion was important. It grounded them. It gave them a place to go. 
even while they were trying to wrestle and work out with the idea that their Lord and Savior had come to them in Jesus Christ and then had died on the cross. And they still tried to wrestle with his resurrection and his ascension. But they did it together because religion gave them that. So that's what we are given as Christians. We are given the ability. Because otherwise your growth will be stunted. That's why we continue to compel our children and our teenagers to go to school. That's why we encourage and invite adults to continue their education. But education doesn't just happen at a two-year, a four-year institution. Education isn't limited to grad school and PhD programs. Education is experience and encounter. And you will get that in the church. In fact, I had three years of seminary training, and there were things that they never taught you, things that you have to learn. Don't put cold water in the baptismal font. No baby wants that. You'll get a screamer every time you put cold water on a baby's head. Can you believe that that wasn't part of my training? But I was a babysitter and I had a younger sister and I know that nobody wants cold water on their head. Things that you learn that you apply in your faith. There are other things that you learn when you are doing your religion. You come to learn that there are some things for which there are no words. You come to learn that sometimes just being with someone and holding their hand speaks louder and more clear than any word you could utter. And for someone who was called as a minister of the word, sometimes learning to be quiet was the hardest lesson that I was never taught in seminary. But I learned it because I was here. I was practicing. These are the things that are so true, but not glamorous. These are the things that are important to us, but not always apparent. And so when people think to themselves, I can be a Christian and not practice, then where are you going to encounter Christ? For in his infinite wisdom, Jesus told us in the gospel accounts, where two or more of you are gathered, there I am. You cannot be a Christian on your own, says Christ. We need each other. We need one another and we need Christ. And so there have to be more than just us. Have you ever had a conversation with somebody? Maybe it was in the midst of a Bible study or Sunday school, or maybe you were standing there making meals on Rise Against Hunger Saturday. Have you ever had a conversation and something just clicked? Or you had an epiphany and suddenly you thought about something differently or even better, suddenly you thought about someone differently. That happens when we put our faith into action. That's what religion is, faith in action. It includes worship. It includes Bible studies and small groups. It includes volunteering and leading and participating in ministry. It includes mission work because what we really discover in community is that we are truly greater together than we are alone. How many of you want to be a soloist every Sunday? Not even John. But together you will sing 
And together we are blessed because you sing. The more that gather together and share their gifts and their graces, the more we are blessed. This church has done things that I could never do by myself. This church has done things that I didn't even think could be done. In the span of an advent and Christmas Eve worship, we raised $20,000 and eliminated $2.2 million of medical debt. I was a bill collector and I couldn't imagine that. On Saturdays after Easter, this church gathers together for a mission project called Rise Against Hunger where we pack meals that are sent all over the world to people who would otherwise starve. And when I got here, we were packing 20,000 and then 25 and then 29 and then we said 30, we're packing 30. Do you realize that there are entire districts of the Virginia Annual Conference of the United Methodist Church that can't pack 20? And we do it in half a day. But we do it together. Maybe if we started thinking about our worship and our religion more like that day of packing, we would understand everybody has a place and a role and is given purpose. Everybody is needed and wanted and valued. So the next time someone says to you, you know, I, I'm a Christian, but I don't practice, Resist the urge to go, what is wrong with you? Resist the urge. Don't let it show on your face. Because too often, that's the response they get. Well, I go to church. Why haven't you gotten your act together and gone to church? Instead, what if the response was this? You know, you have something really special about you. I've heard you sing, or I've watched you lead people or I know just how much you have a passion for children, and you would make us so much better. If you came with me, I know that you would bless us and that we could help more people, love more children, sing better songs, if you would come and be a part of us. That's the difference in how you respond to somebody who says it. Because I'm clergy, I get it. When I hear that, I'm like, great. And then if I say, you know, you should come to church, they're like, well, of course, somebody's got to pay you. But when you say it, you want me there? Yes, because I have experienced the love and grace of God. And that's not just for me. That's not just for those of us who are here. That is for every single person. And I think that you would be better at helping us to share that, to show it, to live it, to give it. That's the difference, how you approach, how you respond. But always it's about the invitation because sometimes the non-practicing Christian is just waiting for somebody to practice with. They're waiting for someone to say, you have had horrible experiences. You were right to be afraid and reticent. But just maybe God loves you so much that God wants me to come and bring you back, and we'll do it together. Let's do this together, because that's what religion is. It's God's people doing God's will, upholding and living out God's statutes and ordinances together to build the kingdom here, to find the lost and bring them home, to care for the sick and the imprisoned, 
and above all, to speak to the world that every single person is beloved of sacred worth and has a place not just in God's heart, but in God's home. May it be so. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Speaking about somebody. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.